Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. Hey everybody, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. And this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 53. Today we're going to be going over what we've been watching, a mini review, which is continuing our Studio Ghibli reviews of Porco Rosso, and then a main review of the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Without further ado though, let's go into what we've been watching. Hey, what you watching? All right, so let's get into it. Nabil, what have you been watching? I finally started watching The Sopranos on HBO. Yeah, you told me about that. How's that going? It is a very good show. I've heard. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, This is one of those, just like kind of Game of Thrones, where you want to just keep watching the next episode. Same thing with The Sopranos. That's, I guess, the OG of it for HBO. Yeah, yeah, right. It's... It's definitely, you know, very much a mafia film. It's about a New New Jersey mob boss named Tony Soprano, for those of you who don't know. He's dealing with some personal and some professional issues in his home and business life that affect his mental state, which, plot twist, I didn't even know. You know, like, I just thought it was about mobsters. Apparently, he's going through some things. And he's like a psychiatrist. Yeah. Hmm. And he's uh, seeking counseling. (laughs) And so, he's talking to a therapist throughout, like, every episode at least has one conversation with his therapist. And you're also, you know, seeing his day-to-day life as a New Jersey mob boss. Huh. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a different kind of premise of just seeing, you know, you're in the life of an Italian mobster. You're actually just kind of seeing how he's dealing with family and friends and the business. And it gets pretty brutal and kind of fucked up. Uh, he doesn't disclose everything to his therapist, right? I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't seen. But he does he does share enough for her to... Because... Uh, he, He's kind of famous in a sense in the news, you know, the whole organization. So it's not like people aren't aware of who he is, but no like one outright one you're on or are you I'm on season one? three. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's, I believe, six seasons, but really seven because it's like an A and B. Two yeah. brighter. Gotcha. Um, so there's seven seasons total and I'm about halfway. How many episodes now. per season? About 12 or 13. Oh, okay. and they're all an hour long. Hour long. Yeah. So you can get through it pretty fast, similar to Breaking Bad then. Yeah, exactly. I've, why do I think there were like 10 seasons though? No, um, I thought they were, it went on for much longer, too. Um, too. It ended in 2007. It started in 99. So it did have quite a bit of a run, though. So eight years. Yeah. So not bad. It's it's cool. I mean, seeing James Gandolfini kind of for the first time, I think, was one of his more, obviously, his bigger roles when uh, he first Rick started out. Gandolfini. Yeah. yeah. He was uh, he was really good. He did it well. The, the, the whole uh, dynamic of him being the boss and having to deal with his issues is... is very interesting because you really do want to see how he's going to deal with it and they don't like it's not a settled matter they always bring up stuff in the other episodes that have happened um so things are always ongoing and so you really do take kind of like an investment of saying oh what's this person up to what's going on with this one where you would think that somebody's just like a throwaway character or a throwaway line and then comes back and says oh my god this meant something to somebody Mm, so nice. especially with like the conversations with the therapist where you think it should affect him but he doesn't bring it up and then like three episodes later she brings it up the therapist and then it's becomes a whole thing all of a sudden kind of full circle yeah okay. so it's really cool and you know very bloody a lot of nudity uh a lot of violence and a lot it's of a swearing mob, it's a mob story yeah i mean so, story, so you know what you're getting yourself into yeah. there and also you know not pc so and it's also in the 90s so it's before anybody was really a bit more aware of what they're saying yeah so, so they're, they're just going off with yeah all the shit that people would racism off, off any kind of slur you can think of sexism you know he just he just hates everybody who's not italian so yeah. and even if you're italian he might say something so yeah i was like oh italians huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> just your basic yeah. you know mob family Everybody it's okay it. yeah nah, no but i've seen the godfather I, I, I get it i get it yeah uh but it's fun i de- if you guys haven't seen it, I recommend you guys watching it. It's it's a really good show. It's been on my list for quite some time. So eventually, Sames. eventually. Yeah. Um, the other thing I saw was uh, I saw the Lion King in theaters. Uh, that's the new live action remake, not the original one in the nineties. So you know, that was cool. 
I mean, one could say they're one and the same. Yeah, I mean, basically, I saw the same thing just with real cats. Not even. It was CG. (laughs) I know, right? It was super. I mean, it looks really good. The what is it? The photorealistic capture thing that he did, John Favreau. Yeah, Um, kind of reminiscent of like um, how the Jungle Book was shot, and I guess I don't know if you guys remember the movie Dinosaur, but they did the same thing too. Or even the. I mean, well, not even because that was shot with actual places and then inserting cg while mm-hmm. this one even i guess apparently that the environment, even the environment yeah he said there's only one shot that's it's actually real the real. beginning shot yeah yep. that's what'd, insane what'd you think though i liked what i saw it was kind of cool to see you see it live action like visually it was beautiful but the one thing i didn't like about the film was um there was it wasn't as emotional yeah it was just like yeah there was no emotion behind it even when they tried to have emotion specifically the lions right yeah <laughs> yeah and not- james and i well, both saw this movie too yeah yeah i would say this movie lacks a lot of soul and heart like, that's the exactly it. i would say yeah. um i don't really i mean this is definitely the first of probably many disney attempts at just doing cash grabs coming mm-hmm. up uh, this was has not been well received too, and I, I'm glad that people have realized that doing a shot for shot reenactment of a film that's damn near perfect from 15 years prior, 25 years 25, prior, yeah. Jesus Christ, is probably not always the best thing to do. Um, Mark and I were talking about there's no emotion in the creatures in here. They no. kept them very like plain faced. It's like realistic, is I guess like, what he's really, going for, but like, really not needed in this sense. Really what? more on on the lions. Like they really, I mean, lions had. I mean, they have no real expressions. They're right. just they're meant to intimidate. That's just how they're made. Yeah. And over and over again, when like you ask anybody, one of the criticisms is that when they're trying to cry or or trying to just show like, that they're that's like their, happy it's like it's like those shirts just, you see where like someone has the same face and like this is my angry face my yeah, funny face right, right. <laughs> except it's for the multi-million dollar movie so <laughs> and we're, we're assuming everyone here has seen the lion original. king everyone is listening but the scene where mufasa dies and i, I told this to james and simba is supposed to cry out like it it's just horrible. I mean, to me too, the voice horrible. acting was really bad. I don't know if Beyonce thinks she knows how to act, but Beyonce is not a good actress. She basically was reading it, and I think John Favreau was too intimidating. He was like, "Yeah, sounds good to me. Thanks for coming in, Beyonce." Yeah, I even asked James, <laughs> "When's the last time she was even in the movie?" It's been a she's while. a great singer. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Acting isn't her thing. And she she's done it many she did times. good in the in the singing. I mean, yeah. there at at points it seemed like she was trying to show off a little bit, like they're trying to a show like, hey, much. this is Beyonce. You like, know, check but- it out, guys. She has her own crew, and it's just kind of like I thought the animated film shows better. And then I was talking to Marco too on a side little thing here. Like, it's just we've gone through a lot of animated esque kind of films this year where right. they've shown a lot better like emotion, and I felt a better yeah. connection, and I cared about the characters more. Like, it sounds silly, but, like, Detective Pikachu, like, Pikachu yeah, himself is really well relatable. done for a CG character. And it uh, wasn't cheesy. No, like, not cheesy. Even, I, I get, like, I get what John Favreau was trying to do with yeah. the realism and trying to make these animals seem real. He's like, this but, is a realistic version. And I, of yeah, and I, and I told James, on paper, that sounds like a really good idea, but in execution, it, it just, well. yeah, yeah. It just seems like I was saying, like, a cash grab. And even, like, Dumbo seemed like he had more emotion than these guys like yeah, i I'm felt good. sad during dumbo when like the mom's taken away and Same. and i felt sad during the animated version but in lion king i i didn't care that mufasa died i was like yeah. okay, and i wanted cute. to because i could i was harking back to the animated film trying to feel that emotion you remember you, you remember aladdin there. when he first shows up he's riding the elephants right. and they're dancing uh, i think those elephants showed more emotion <laughs> than the animals <laughs> in really <Lion> king. right <laughs> Yeah, I actually preferred Aladdin over this. I did too. I like the changes that so. they did in Aladdin. I feel like they should have added a little bit more of a spin to yeah. the. Uh, and I think if Lion you're King. if you're going to make like a remake, Nabil, like the thing to do is try to bring about your own version of yeah, retelling of the unique. story, mm-hmm. which I think both other Disney films this year have done. And um, Lion King just one of those movies where they were really banking on people's nostalgia of the original. I think. Right. So, yeah. I think they were too afraid to take risks with it because they didn't want to tarnish it then it's like then don't make it yeah <laughs> right yeah it's like then that's a big sign you should probably leave that one alone yeah maybe that's the one you don't do yeah i mean you can redo the black cauldron all you want no one gives a fuck you know <laughs> true but yeah but that's what i've been watching guys sounds good awesome what about you james what have you been watching this past week um so yeah it's saw lion king as well but i also went with mikey and saw stuber the new comedy 
That uh, stars Dave Batista and Kumail Nanjiani. Awesome. And um, I actually really liked it a lot, by the way. So basically, the movie's premise is that Dave Batista is a detective, and he is on the trail of this kind of like a drug lord that's been kind of, for the last six months, kind of evading him throughout the time. And he's supposed to be kind of taking it back, basically, and like relaxing for the day because he gets LASIK surgery done to his eyes. Because he is, <laughs> he has really bad eyesight. It's okay. it's ridiculous, right? So his daughter hires him like a Uber driver to take him to her uh, to her. She's having like a art gallery. Like he's got an older daughter, basically, and yeah. he's kind of the cop that like isn't around for his daughter, not the best dad kind of thing. So he's trying to really kind of turn it around until his informant lets him know that that day the drug kingpin, his name's Oka, is like having this huge drop at night. So he's like, "Fuck, I need to get there." And he tries driving. He crashes his car. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> And then he meets Stu, basically, this guy uh, guy that Kumail plays. And basically, Stu is um, he's an Uber driver by night. And then during the day, he works at like a, a sporting goods place. Mm-hmm. And he he's in love with this girl that he really likes. But like he's in the friend zone with her. She doesn't understand. Like he has more feelings. It's just it's really pathetic, but funny as fuck because he's. He's trying to make it more than it is, maybe, and he has these opportunities. But then, basically, Dave Bautista's character shows up, and it's like, "You need to drive me around." <laughs> and I mean, would this ever happen in real life? No, but it's it's got their chemistry together is really good. They're actually really funny. I think Dave Bautista is kind of underrated as an actor. I think so too. He's like a lot funnier than I thought he would be. Plus, he's like a big hulking guy, right. and he's yeah, just well, like there's like some action sequences here and. Stu is just a normal dude, and he's in the middle of like a gunfight at one point, and he's like, "What the fuck's going on? This is crazy." This guy head explodes next to him and shit. <laughs> All this shit. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of that, and they're basically un un they're revealing like a bigger plot going on. There's like a mole in the police department, and it's just one of those kind of unlikely buddy cop films in a way i guess it's so ridiculous it's good yeah but i enjoyed it though overall i i, I really i came in pretty low expectations because it had actually hasn't been doing too well with um critics and such a thing to kind of help dampen that down yeah but then um i found it really funny though man i really enjoyed the jokes they don't show everything in the trailer which is good there's like a lot more to the movie and i think also on top of that uh just i guess we all kind of have been in a situation like this. I'm just kidding. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, some random guys got into my car I've as I'm lifting or Ubering Uber. and, you know, tells me it's that he's commandeer my car. The character of Stu, I like, you, you really feel for him, though. Like, he's in a position where it's like, man, he's like a really, really nice guy. And it's just like, he's he's trying to do good for himself. Dave Bautista's character is trying to do better for himself, too, in a way. And the way that it plays out, they both kind of realize they have more in common than it first appears to, so... It's one of those. It's predictable. Don't get me wrong, but um, I would say it's at least worth a rent too. Yeah, I've been wanting to see it. It looked pretty funny in the trailers, and I'm glad that it's actually funny and yeah. not that not that everything's in the trailer or anything like that. Yeah, so, when Mikey right. and I went and saw it, we literally were like, "I'm not expecting much," you know. Like we just wanted to go get out of the house and see something. And then when we saw it, I was like, "You know what? Pretty funny. Pretty funny." <laughs> um, other than that, I have been trudging along on Jessica Jones season three. Which is the final Netflix Marvel show, I guess? Is Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you finish it, or are you close to finishing I'm it? I'm close. I'll probably finish it either tomorrow or Wednesday. I kind of so, threw yeah. in the towel after, like, episode three or four. For, um, just for a little bit. I, just, I would recommend for you, like, though, Marco, since it's a finale, I don't want to ruin it all, but I know you haven't seen Punisher Season 2. You should probably watch Punisher Season 2 first. All right. Because it wraps up a lot of things. Okay. Just a heads up. But this time around, Jessica is basically, she's not fighting another superhero. There's actually a serial killer on the loose that is murdering people around the city of New York, basically. And she's ba- her and her friend are basically trying to figure out what's going on. So i actually enjoying it. Uh, I think because it's the final one, they, they knew it was going to be the last one, too. So there are some cameos from other characters, which are pretty cool. Nice. That's cool. And um, it, it's wrapping up to be a pretty decent finale. I'll let you guys know probably next time um, how it ends and how I does, felt about does it. Does the side story with the friend, does that get better throughout yeah, the season? It because does. it was one of those things that I was just like, it's not interesting to me. I just I mean, want to focus on Jessica Jones. It's one of those things where she has to get over a pretty traumatic event that happened at the end right. of the last season. So obviously it's going to take more than three episodes to do that. So, but it's, when it's it does, not, it, it when, not so much that as it is yeah. her, her, like just her character. It's just I think it's her character, but 
I mean, what episode did you leave off on? I want to say episode at the end of episode four. Okay, yeah. yeah. There's there's a point where they basically are like, hey, we need to help each other out. And from that point going forward, I think it helps the plot a bit. Yeah. But, I mean, for the most part, you know what you're going to say. Like, I understand to. what she's trying to do. Yeah. But at some points, it seems like she's, as the kids these days say, extra. So Yeah, <laughs> she kind of is. But pretty horrific stuff happened in this season, though. And I would say, so far, I'm enjoying it, though, for right. the most part. So. Right on. Uh, outside of that, I really haven't been watching much, so that's that's all I've been watching, guys. Sounds good, man. What well, about you, Marco? I've been watching a few things here and there. I haven't really finished much because I've been trying to spread myself way too thin, but one of the things, one of the TV shows that I did start and watch is actually a Nabil recommendation. Mm-hmm. Look at that. This See? Man, I feel he does get some love, guys. He doesn't just watch boring shit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I saw the Netflix original Bodyguard. Which stars uh, Richard Madden, who's known as the OG King of the North, Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. And it also stars Keely Hawes, uh, who I don't know where she's from. But <laughs> basically, Richard Madden plays the character of David Budd, who is a police officer and a retired Royal Army soldier. All right. I guess that's what they call it in uh, the UK. And he is hired to protect Julia Montague, played by Hawes, who is the Home Secretary of the United Kingdom, which I believe is probably equivalent to the Secretary of the State in the U.S. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how their government works. (laughs) I'm assuming here. And basically, uh, on assignment, uh, an assassination attempt is done on her life and it opens up a whole bunch of conspiracies uh, dealing with terrorist cells and possible moles within the police force and the secret service hired to protect julia montague i don't want to give away too much because there are some unexpected events that happen throughout the show and i can't remember if nabil spoiled them or not so i'm just gonna i don't think i'm just gonna assume that he didn't uh, overall, I did enjoy the show. I thought that the performance of Madden was very well. It was nice to see him uh, as, as outside of Game of Thrones and outside of his small role in Rocketman. I think that he is way more talented than he's given credit for, and he just has a whole like level of emotions in the show. Like He shows anger. He shows distress. He is just very uh, a likable character. And basically, the they have this little arc that starts at the beginning of the show in which he stops a suicide bomber. And that subplot is sort of put on the back burner. And the resolution of that is partly what I didn't like. And I don't know if Nabil liked the resolution of that subplot or not. But to me, I liked that the show looked like it was going to go a different direction and kind of show that there are different levels of terror and that it's not just one specific cell that that does it. And it was going to sort of eliminate the classic trope of terrorism, but it ended up not really going that route. And that was probably the most disappointing part of the show. I think Nabil brought that up too before, right? Yeah. What did you you think of that, Nabil, without spoiling anything? It's... uh, it it gets a little too big for itself for a second, and then it says, "You know what? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to humble ourselves." Yeah, it's like they, it's like they had the right idea. Yeah. The ball was just like around the rim, and all they had to do was push it in. Mm-hmm. And then instead, they just like slap it out. Yeah. And, and I think the whole point was is because that whole show, and and I did bring this up, was that like you were saying, Marco, there's a lot of unexpected things, and when we say that, it's just shocking what happens, whether it be something very graphic or just a big twist that you just really didn't see and in some yeah. ways in most ways it pays off in other ways it's like oh okay i don't see why you went that way but i i yeah. guess it's you know you're moving it in a different direction now and aside from that like the story was really good right. i i like the fact that it really kept you on in suspense you really had to go from one episode to the next because yeah. they would leave you with some breadcrumbs here and it really left you thinking as to what the hell's going on because everyone as far as like who the mole is is suspect and you really don't know who it is like there are shows that do a horrible job at it but this one i think really did an excellent job at trying to keep you in the dark yeah the action is really good when it happens there's not much action but when it does it's 
very realistic and it's super violent, yeah. which was, you know, if it's, you know, if you're not into that, then it's probably not for you. Uh, but if you like mystery suspense, uh, I would highly recommend this for you. If you want to see, you know, um, Richard Madden in a different uh, set type of setting, then this is definitely for you. The, again, the performance is really good, and the action was really good. Yeah, the I story he won a Golden Globe for it too. So. Yeah, the, well, really, did he? Yeah, nice. The story overall, although not perfect, I think it still works. So, yeah, nice. Um, aside from that, um, I finished uh, La Casa de Papel or Money Heist. Oh, I know nice, I, yeah. I mentioned this show. You know, I think the last two episodes, I believe. But it's a Netflix original. It's, you know, the title says itself. It's Money Heist. It's a group of eight people that are hired to rob the Spanish Mint. And season two and three go a little further. Did you and, watch all of them? Yeah, I watched all of Jesus. them. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude. Did it turn it, out the way you wanted to? Um, It actually, yeah, it did. It, it turned so out. Is that the end though, Marco? Or is there more now? Uh. It definitely left it open for a fourth season. Okay. And actually, I, I learned that there are actually only two seasons in Spain. The uh, first two seasons are technically one, but oh, the episodes are okay. 70 minutes long in Spain. Oh, wow. And how many per ep- uh, season, though? The this the current seasons right now, they have about... The first season is nine episodes, and the second season is like six or seven episodes. Okay, but makes, or, originally, sense. it was like a 12 or 13 episode yeah. serial in, in Spain with 70-minute episodes that they chopped up and reformatted for Netflix. Oh, okay. I see. But basically now what they're what they're trying to instead of steal the mint, they're trying to steal the the gold reserve of Spain now and hmm. trying so to So now they're like up it, huh? <laughs> yeah, there there are uh, reasons why they're why they're trying to do that and they're they're basically dealing with some of the consequences from their first heist, which I'm not going to spoil, but a lot of stuff happens, it gets a little yeah. messy. And they're definitely wanted by Interpol and all the governments are pretty much looking for them and, and trying to, you know, capture them because it's a huge embarrassment for the nation. Yeah. And this uh, this season, I was going to say episode, this season, the third one, uh, really challenges the relationships of the the thieves and really tests their loyalties as far as whether or not they're going to cut and run like they usually do or if they're yeah. going to stick together to the plan. The governments and the negotiators are now more akin to the professor's ways and how he tries to manipulate the police force and the military. And so now instead, they're the ones that play playing the mind games and they have an ace up their sleeve that the professor doesn't know about. And it really makes things a little more interesting and subverts expectations, which I really enjoy in, in a really believable way. So they kind of keep it fresh every season, in that y- sense. Yeah, because cool. they're basically they were in the, in the first couple seasons. He's the one that's undermining them, their right. authority, and this one he's really getting pushed back and really pushed against the corner, and it's testing his values and his beliefs a lot, all the way to like the very last episode. A lot of shit happens, and I'm interested to see how they're going to resolve everything in, in season four. I I'm enjoying these actors, even though I've never seen them before. And even though it's in Spanish, I know I understand it, but it, you know, you can read the subtitles and see for yourself whether or not you enjoy them as much as I do. If you're into heist type of movies or TV shows, then this is definitely something for you. I know I made the comparison of inside man and oceans 11 last time. And, and it still lives up to that comparison. It leaves you in suspense. And even though some of the scenes, again, like I mentioned are kind of cheesy, I think it gives it a certain bit of charm and makes it very entertaining. So yeah, very that's cool. all I've been watching. Nice. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, watching movies or TV shows that we uh, didn't watch in the native language, let's move <laughs> on to our mini review of the new studio, uh, not the new, the older studio Ghibli film, Porco Rosso. So you've heard something. Marco, you're crazy. What are you doing back in Italy? I make it a rule to come and go as I please. You've got to get out of Italy now. I've seen your arrest warrant deserting the Italian Air Force, entering the country illegally, being a blatantly unpatriotic pig. Now that is going to cost you. Gonna design my plane. Theo will do it. Theo, that cute little girl. Don't be such a pig. She's a talented engineer, even better than my sons. We're coming for you. Porco Alright guys, so the IMDb description of Porco Rosso, 
is in 1930s Italy, a veteran World War I pilot is cursed to look like an anthropomorphic pig. This is directed by Hayao Miyazaki. This stars Michael Keaton as Parker Rosso, Carrie Ells as Curtis, Susan Egan as Gina, Kimberly Williams Paisley as Theo, Brad Garrett as Mama Iota Boss, and David Ogden Steers as Grandpa Piccolo. So, uh, starting with you, Nabil, what did you think about this one overall? And had you seen it before? I have not seen it. Uh, it was the first time. And I liked it. I liked the animation style. I liked uh, the story. It was uh, very straightforward. <laughs> Nothing too fantastical. There so was... it actually lived uh-huh. up to your expectations yeah. this time? Yeah. The, the animation, Nabil? I liked, I liked the animation. I um, still got to see it in, you know, what is it, 480p? I don't know what, yeah. what fat format that is anymore. 480i, yeah, I think. 480p, something like that. Like that. <laughs> But, uh, no, it looked great. I liked the it a lot. colors were a little washed out, but it's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just a lot of blue, I guess. I it's mean, fine. it did come out of 92, so maybe you're like, maybe it's supposed to look like this. Yeah. I don't know. So, it's got colors. Just okay. my eyes a little bit. Uh, what about you, Marco? I really liked it. I thought it was very entertaining. It had its graceful moments. I think I mentioned this to you. I don't know if I said this to Nabil or not, but it was very reminiscent of the old disney tv show tailspin where that took oh, yeah. place in similar times where uh airplanes rule the sky specifically mm-hmm. seaplanes so um i mean obviously it was a more violent <laughs> version of that and animals and, and, animals and air pirates and blue i guess yeah right. so um nice so i like i like that aspect of it the story itself i felt had a really good message to it and uh, the animation was great I, I there were some scenes that i had to rewind a little bit because I'm like, wow, this actually looks really gorgeous. The voice acting was really good too. I thought we saw the English version because obviously, you know, like I said, we're uncultured. So I thought Michael Keaton was fantastic as Parker Rosso. And I'm I'm a huge Michael Keaton. Kind of has that gruffness to him that he's playing off this one that I think works well for the English dub. Yeah. It's uh, definitely one of my favorite Studio Ghibli films. I know I'm the one that's seen the least here. So this one's up there for me too, though. I would say for yeah. me, yeah, I, I've enjoyed. This is probably my fourth or fifth time seeing this movie, but oh, and just to add, this is my first time ever seeing this movie. I so. am. So this movie, I think, it's got that style of uh, Ghibli film that I think is kind of associated with the Hayao Miyazaki films. Uh, this is, like I said, '92, so they already had quite a few films under their belt by this time. I do like the animation. The story's pretty simple here. It's really just about a. It's about a guy that became a pig because he got kind of cursed, and basically yeah, they don't explain how. But they don't really explain how either. He just showed up one day. He's like, "Hey, some shit went down," mm-hmm. and he has regret over the loss of his previous friends and shit. But he kind of gets shot down. And he's rebuilding a plane, comes back and fights a guy that's trying to go after his girl. Really, that's really the plot of the whole movie. Yep. Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, in and a way, it's, it's challenging his honor too. Yeah, yeah, it's in, in a way it's challenging his honor, but it's also about. Um, I mean, what did just getting into then? What did what did the movie mean to you then, overall meaning wise? I think it very much had to do with like love and honor, and it it deals in an era that's post war. I think it's World War One that had just, just ended. Had, right. Yeah, like, he saw some shit in World War One. He saw like the ugliness of the world, and it seems like to me, I felt like the reason he even had that curse is kind of like he was denying his own humanity, basically. Like, pigs yeah. are seen as, you know, disgusting animals, you know, very mm-hmm. pompous as well. And I felt like that's how he felt he should be in a world where honor and, and love was declining around him based on his experiences. And I yeah. think that all these situations leading up to his final fight uh, leads to his realization that there is still honor amongst thieves because, uh, yeah. you know, they're all pirates and stuff. And it even looked into... The way the world, like, the perspective of the world, like, don't judge people, you know, just by their look. You know, really yeah. look at the character because the the pirates, even though they're doing crime and stuff like that, they're still very honorable. They don't harm. And they, they turn out to be, like, decent people. Yeah. Too, you know? yeah. Like, all they care about is just making money no matter no matter what. But yeah. they, they try not to harm anybody. And one of the main elements of the last fight is that they they keep saying hey porco you have to you know live up to your honor and that's pretty much the only thing left for them is just honor basically definitely what do you think nabo i I agree with with marco's notes i also think it's it's uh about him being selfish you know kind of in a sense they they bring it up a lot like being pig-headed even yeah Yeah. this is a bit of 
a bit brash. Like people like him, they respect him, but he still is very full of himself and only looks out for himself. And he states that many times. And I think near the end, he finally has a chance to kind of vindicate himself. Yeah. Um, and that helps with the whole. I'm not. You know, you, they don't really explain how he got the curse, but you can kind of get the idea of that it had something to do with, like you said, Marco. Um, once he the war was over he kind of ended up being about himself and not about anybody else yeah and that i mean that's why he lives on an island by himself and has supposedly the fastest ship Mm -hmm. and is the best of the best and i think it it shows you kind of like bragging and his bravado is like too high yeah there's a lot of hints that like sometimes you need to come back down and i think the character of gina kind of is the one that realizes who he really is you know yeah, yeah. throughout the whole show and the movie. he's even in denial that like gina's in love with him until tech uh what's his name tex or what the fuck's tex yeah. mixing yeah. the fucking movies together now there's two guys named tex in both movies no way oh shit i didn't even realize no, that curtis so curtis basically oh. is the he one he calls him tex though he yeah because he's, he's from texas, texas yeah. yeah so um he basically tells him like no gina likes you and then he's like what and then i think that's i mean but then they hint at like yeah at the very epilogue though it's almost like you get in a perspective from like an older fio who basically stays in contact with um curtis and like the uh pirates and stuff but you don't really quite understand what happens to porco rosso at the end no not at all kind of up in the grabs like well there's it's like a tail it's like a tall tail at the end like, well, yeah it's kind of like this. left up to your interpretation do you think that yeah. did he stay did, with gina or yeah. did he not and just it's one of those things i mean once again it's one of the few rising. ghibli films that doesn't focus on like nature and shit by the way right and i noticed that too the only the only spiritual aspect of it is the fact that he's a pig anthropomorphic pig and also um I guess, I mean, I guess Fio is kind of the main female protagonist in this one. Yeah. She's like a yeah. brash-headed, young, like really smart. She is actually proves herself to Porco, you know? Yeah. Because she actually designs the new plane, and she's not one of those like pushover characters. Let's do Ghibli films rarely have like a pushover female character. Mm-hmm. She, she kind of helps put in new perspective into his life. Yeah, and, it's like, hey. And this say is... that, hey, all things aren't bad, and sometimes yeah. the change isn't She's a nice bad. kind of positive yeah. In Parko's life, and he kind of realizes through her, like, man. And then he also gains, like, a pretty good friend, too. Yeah. It does keep cool. the theme of anti-war that Miyazaki likes to put oh, in yeah, films definitely. as well. Definitely. Where, like, the ugliness of war and how it's, like, a completely unnecessary. Oh, yeah. I agree with that, too. Um, So, comparing this to other Ghibli films, what, what do you guys kind of place this around, around for you? Marco, this sounds like it's probably higher up there for you. Oh, definitely. It's, it's up there probably among my top two, top three. It's, it's out of seven, there. so that's his top. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so slowly, Once again, this, I mean, it's still in his top ten. By the way, yes, <laughs> still the top ten, so it's up there. Everything, but top it's 10 right it's now. it's up there definitely. It, it's quite enjoyable. I mean, does it help that Parker Rose's real name was Marco? Maybe it's a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna lie. Like, Marco. When I talked about that a few times. It's like, oh, no, Marco's Parco. Marco pointed like, at man. himself. He's like. Me? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, he's even got that fuckboy feel like me. Yeah, so, okay. He's, he's like, whoa, that's, right. ba- that's Batman. <laughs> that's weird. I'm like, all right, they even spelled it the same. Awesome. No, okay. I don't awesome. know how but, else they would spell Marco, but uh, with a K, I, maybe? With a K, yeah, it's the Russian way. It yeah. sounds like a like a Greek way or something. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. it, it just overall, it was just, a like you said, James, an enjoyable, simple story, straight yeah. to the point. Short film, it's an hour and a half, too. Yeah. yeah. Easy to watch. And the animation is great. Uh, I, again, I like the characters. Porco Rosso was great, but also Fio was great. Gina was awesome. Uh, the I mean the French singing singing was really cool. So yeah, I like that little part of it too. It gives yeah. you, gets you in the mood for like the era of where it is too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, what about you, Nabil? I'd probably put it. I'd say top five, like probably yeah. five. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, that can move. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I liked it, like the animation style, like you said, James. The story is a little simpler, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's really great. I'd say of of the, a lot of the films that are that they've made, it's a really good introduction to Studio Ghibli as well. Yeah. Um, because you get the, a taste of the animation style and it doesn't, kind of where the story yeah. is, but it doesn't like throw it all at you at once yeah. on the fantastical side of things. But it's 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 good. It was entertaining and the story flowed pretty well too, which I liked. It wasn't holding on to anything specific. No, not, just not too much. And like I said, it, it it flows pretty fast. It's not a long movie. Um, I will say this is one of those Studio Ghibli films that are. It was a lot. This was one that was probably easier to see out here too when oh, it first yeah, came I out. I could see that. Yeah. I remember as a kid seeing posters like this is one, this and Kiki's Delivery Service were the two movies I remember the most that they advertised a lot of stuff for. Like yeah. 
I say that one every time. This one and and then uh, Totoro, of course. Totoro, yeah. Totoro everywhere. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, though, I remember seeing like posters going to like Japantown, seeing this, and like, what the fuck is this movie about? It was just like a pig and his little overcoat, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, is he? And what, I what's he doing? Is he a detective? What is he? Yeah, I, I was didn't like, know what either. is this? What? And it wasn't until like 15 years later that I was like, I'm gonna watch them all, and then you know, eventually you figure it out. So, um, it is one of the more enjoyable ones for me. It's probably even top 10 for me. It's not quite oh. top, top. It's not quite top five because my top five are. Man, you know what did it though? The was that that stuff. the scene where he has that flashback of where he's in the as a human? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It would sort of not no not the flashback, but the vision of him flying and he sees all the pilots yeah. all the airplanes up in the sky and they they look like shoot like a just a line of shooting stars that's but true. it zooms up and it's all these stars and the animation just looks so good and the scenery looks so maybe great maybe that's the nature shot it yeah, just it reminded me of uh castle in the sky for some reason castle skies are really good yeah, uh, that's my favorite see, one wait till you see the wind rises i think you'll enjoy that too Alrighty. and so um okay so overall i would say another successful ghibli film I don't know how the guys are going to feel about the next one. It's Pom Poco. That one is a very Japanese movie. Uh, we won't see it on the next one because we're going to be doing a marathon for you guys. But after that, you guys will check it out. And I thought you were going to say there's no English subtitles for that no, one. So we're just going to have there's to There's only one Stewie Ghibli film that doesn't have subtitles. so uh, Or dubbed. No, Bill's like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, sir. Please don't. All right, guys, let's move on now to our main review of the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> oh, the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Ah! Have you not seen bastards? <laughs> Seems this world has got you down. You're feeling bad, bad, racial. Are you an actor? No, I'm a stuntman. Oh, you still with Rick, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Line. Cut! Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, guys, so the IMD description on this one is a faded television actor and a stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. This is directed by Quentin Tarantino, and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton, Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, Austin Butler as Tex, Dakota Fanning as Squeaky Fromm, Timothy Oliphant as James Stacy, Al Pacino as Marvin Schwartz, and Kurt Russell as Randy. Starting with Univille, yay or nay? Eh, I don't know. Okay. Say it's not. I don't hate it. I didn't particularly think it was one of his better films. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um. What about you, uh, Marco? What to say about this movie? (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of with the bill. I liked it. I probably liked it a little bit more than the bill did because I'm a Tarantino fan. So I'm a little biased. Bill is too, sir. (laughs) Sir. Like Reservoir Dogs is my favorite film, bro. Well, look. I mean. If you were to ask me to pick a Tarantino movie to watch, any random one, this one probably would not be it. it you kind of have yeah. to be in the mood to watch this one. So I'll, it's, it's gonna be like a soft nay for me. I I'd, I'd say like if you're a hardcore diehard Tarantino film, yeah, go see it. If not, and you're not familiar with his work, then this probably is not for you. It's gonna seem really random. Probably. Yeah, like what the fuck did I just watch for two and a half hours? Basically, it's a it's a super slow burn. Like, and and even when it gets to to the punch, you're sitting there wondering if it was even all worth it. So yeah, that's that's my opinion. It's it's a soft yay. Okay, so mine, I don't know. I'm a little torn on it. I guess at first, I I mean, I still am like a soft yay for yeah. the most part. Kind of like Nabil. Like, yeah, I mean, 
I couldn't recommend this to people that were non-film buffs, I think. Right. Correct. I don't think they'd appreciate it for what it is. I think it's incredibly well acted, right? Yes. yes. Um, I told you guys, as soon as we all three were lucky enough to watch this together, in 70 millimeter, by the way. So when we walked out, though, I... I already knew even like even like 30 minutes into it I looked over and I was like man this the narrative is like a mess in this movie like I'm not sure what he wants me to care about in this film same and I I understand that he was trying to sort of go for the pulp fiction approach of three stories that sort of interconnected was he, though? and, and I don't know that's kind of assume that's sort of what he was trying he to go was. through but it the thing is like I think what makes pulp fiction special not to talk about another movie in during this review no, but you can. what, what makes what makes it special is the fact of how it's filmed the fact i think if you were to watch this is an unpopular opinion i think if you were to watch pulp fiction in chronological order it would not be as good i, I think what that. makes probably not what makes it so good is its execution delivery and i think that the problem with this movie once upon a time in hollywood is that it's like pulp fiction in chronological order it's just kind of like bland <sighs> i don't even think i think i mean pulp fiction has a much better narrative overall it and does. i understand that, what they're going for that too that this too. one i'm like okay i think they want me to care about i mean it's basically it's definitely tarantino's love letter to movie yes. making in mm-hmm. hollywood in the 60s really and that's and why i think the pulp fiction focuses more on the characters and this one focuses more i guess on the overall like atmosphere yeah, and ambiance. I want yeah. to talk about spoilers about what happens, but it's it's definitely one of those things where he's showing you like this is what he used to, this is like how things used to be, and I guess Leonardo DiCaprio's character is kind of like a he's he's a old famous actor from the fifties, and he kind of is sort of washed up in a way, and maybe that's like a signaling of like the new times of like going from yeah. like these good looking guys to a more rugged, realistic kind of approach and. Kind of how the magic of that's been lost, I think, is kind of what they're going for. It's, it's, um, so for me, that year, and I was talking to my wife about this a lot because she had a lot of insight on the whole, uh, Charles Manson, uh, and the murders that involved around that. But, um, to me, the way he was doing it, it, it was a love letter, like you said, James, to that period of time, the end of the golden age. Yeah. Um, I really loved what I was seeing there. It really made me feel like I was in that time period because you were just kind of seeing a slice of it. Yeah. But that period of time specifically, especially 1969, was essentially where America lost its innocence, where, like you were saying, the 50s kind of thing was starting to fade away. People were transitioning over. 69 was like the summer of love. There was also, obviously, But because of the murder. Yeah. We'll talk about that. that, We'll talk about that. A lot of that... um, I think changed the perspective of not just, you know, the country, but also specifically in filmmaking in Hollywood. And yeah, I definitely. think he was just trying to capture what was less a last of it. What was the end of that before, you know, essentially the, the country changed. I, I agree with you, Nabil, with, with that statement, because that a lot of like historians say that. And I think there's even like, I read somewhere, saw somewhere that it was after the Manson family murders that people right. actually started to lock their doors more. Yep. Yeah. yeah because that's, I, that was actually tr- one of the things. Yeah. Less trustworthy. Yeah. But I think, I don't know. It's just narratively like, it's like almost two different movies from one point when they, before Leo goes off to Italy to shoot like six movies or whatever the fuck it is. Right. From that point, it's not spoiling. I'm just saying no. when he comes back, then, then we get like Kurt Russell narrating a lot more. I know he mentioned, is- he, he narrates briefly in the beginning, just the beginning, then disappears for like two fucking hours and then comes back like, Hey, let me tell you what the plot is so we can get this bitch moving. Right. And he throws it at me. And I, I didn't like that. Actually. Is, the, I was is like, the time jump a spoiler? Would that be a spoiler? No, it's six months. Because I, guess. Because I, th- I don't, I think like, that kind of ruined the narrative for me even more. It was just the, the and abrupt then time even jump. Little, even uh, Nabil's wife pulled up, like, sometimes they tell you where they're at, sometimes they don't. Yeah, like, don't hey, here's the Playboy Mansion. Here's a random place. It's mm-hmm. like, it. it's almost like, it, I felt like it was edited by, like, three different guys, and they're like, I'm going to do my own style in this it, shit. It wasn't consistent. No, and I mean, which, I mean, it's just being nitpicky at this point, but I just didn't think that it was the greatest work Tarantino's been done in a while, especially coming off of, like, Hateful Eight, which is really tightly edited mm-hmm. and narratively really well done, and I think was overall a better movie, yet rated lower than this one. I agree 100% with you. I thought that the, the story was actually more captivating. The characters were more entertaining and likable, and yeah. I, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a solid I, movie. I liked uh, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth 
they both seem like cool guys. You get to know them a little bit more. Like Rick is very insecure. Cliff is kind of like that everyday kind of guy that obviously is really good friends with Rick and he's just trying to do his best, but he also doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut kind of thing. And yeah, fights Bruce Lee at one point. <laughs> I thought that was really. I mean, it's hilarious. It's on the trailer. I, I feel too, like but. the the whole Sharon Tate and Charles Manson thing was forced into the movie. Like I felt I like I would like, like to talk about that. Spoilers. Yeah, just but real yeah. quick. And I felt like the movie focused more on Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth and how their characters and their actions lead them to certain situations. I think that would have been a little bit more of a solid movie for me, in my opinion. No, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so it's yeah. it's almost saying that it's a fairy tale in a way. Right. I mean, which in a way I guess it, it is. is. E- either that or just the way that Sharon Tate was intertwined into the storyline, I think could have been done a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it also I mean, no nothing against Margot Robbie, but I think she has about three lines total. She talks in this entire fucking movie. Yeah, she doesn't really have a big part. She's in basically stuff. just there to no. look really pretty and dance. Basically, and well, I, she kind of looked dead on like Sharon Tate, because basically they're showing the real Sharon Tate in the movie theater. Yeah, that's not it, Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah. and it, she looked was, dead on like her. I yeah. think they did that in honor to not like you know. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So I was sense. like, oh wow, she really does yeah. look the real one. And I like, I kind of like one of the things I did like about it was the way he mixed in music. Oh, yeah, the soundtrack's was, really good. Actually, the, I rediscovered he, Purple Haze is a hush in this <laughs> no, one. The way, I've been the listening way, to this shit nonstop since fucking... The Saturday. way he did it, though, where it was all coming from a source, from the radio. It was never something that was... It wasn't like a score. It was yeah. just always coming from like a specific source within the movie. I thought that was yeah. pretty interesting. No, that definitely was. I think we should jump into spoilers, because I want to talk about more shit, and it's really hard not to. So I would recommend not listening to this part, guys, because... There's some pretty big spoilers, and I think that would take away from your viewing of this one. Stop listening to us. Yeah, so for the most part, uh, if you don't want to hear this, jump ahead to our outro, and you can hear about the non-indie films we're going to be reviewing coming up. So, spoiler alert coming up. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. All right, guys. So, spoiler section now. Here, um, so like we're talking about, it's it's a it's like Quentin Tarantino's love story to, or like his kind of love letter to Hollywood, and kind of I feel like this is kind of how he wishes it would have played out. Yeah, it's a fairy tale. Like Rick and Cliff are both fictional characters. They're ba- they're loosely based on other people, in a way. But there wasn't like a neighbor that stopped the Manson guys. No, and yelled at them in the front and called them hippies and told them to get the fuck off and. Um, told future Elvis to get the fuck out of there, basically. So, um, <laughs> I, what did you guys think of like him changing the Sharon Tate story into kind of more of a Tarantino esque uh, series of actions near the end? I guess because it gets pretty ridiculous. I'll, I'll let Nabil take it first. I'm happy that he did that. I I don't think we need to relive that horror. Yeah, um, and I not, not I fully expected. To, I was like, it's about to yeah. get. A I was expecting it, just you know, because Tarantino likes to, to show the blood. Yeah. of everything. But I'm actually very happy he didn't show that scene and that he made it more uh, fantastical and something and it's else. It's funny, it became a quote unquote Hollywood ending. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, it did. You know I mean? And and maybe that was the the point the whole time. But I think it it also just helped to show that you know he he could sh- tell the story that he wanted to tell without having to go and make everybody feel like you know shitty we, at the end. Especially, yeah, because it's been a pretty horror. like yeah. cool story leading up to it. And I mean, Rick and Cliff are both very likable characters. I think yeah. too. And it, and that's no that's all credit to Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt for yep. their uh, portrayals of them. And yep. I think it. I don't think I think in every he even said he didn't want people to leave super bummed. Yeah, because that's because what would have happened. You would have like, just been like, "Fuck, man!" You would have yeah. forgot the rest of the film and just thought about that scene. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to see a pregnant lady get sliced up by yeah. psychopaths. Terrible. So, oh, yeah. the Bill's gripping his hands pretty hard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not again. Tragic stuff. Bill, your lip. Nabil, are you biting down your tongue? <laughs> uh, what about you, Marco? I. I liked the way that it turned out, and I agree with you, James. I think that it was, and Unibill, it was uh, Tarantino's way of showing like the what if, what could have been, and giving the the Hollywood ending. It was like a big fuck you to that whole like situation because yeah. it was really fucked up. And what if instead of these psychopaths, instead of them walking in and these people being in the wrong place at the wrong time, 
that they walk into the wrong house and here's someone who can actually take them on and give them a taste of their own medicine. And I kind of like that. It's like what we wish would happen in those types of situations. But yeah. going going off of what you said off the Hollywood ending to Bill, I feel like everything that happens to these characters is kind of like a Hollywood ending. Like Rick Dalton, the fact that he was washed out and he ends up getting a second chance and an opportunity that doesn't always happen in the real life. Right. So he gets no. his Hollywood ending that way, and he, he gets invited his, by Sharon, who is married to Roman Polanski. Yeah, thus possibly leading to a, a film. exactly yeah. major film. You know, Cliff Booth gets into a fight with Bruce Lee. I mean, Bruce Lee kicked Nick Chuck Norris's ass. So I mean, the fact that he could out manhandle Bruce Lee and almost knock him out. It's kind of like a Hollywood ending for him also. It's also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that happened in the past. I yeah. think more of the thing with Cliff is like finally Rick relies on Cliff so much that this is finally his way of like when Cliff goes off to the hospital, Rick is like, no, I can handle it myself for once. You know, yeah. right. the whole movie is really relying heavily on Cliff. And I think when it's Cliff leaves, it, yeah, because then out of nowhere, they're like, hey, the guy shows up, Mill Hirsch's character shows up and's like, hey, man, what happened? Yeah. And then, you know, the fact that, and then he talked, he killed, he killed two of them and I burned another guy. Like, yeah. Fuck. So nonchalantly. Yeah. I mean, super Tarantino right there, right? Yeah. And it's and, like, his possibilities are probably not without Cliff, I guess. Exactly. Pretty much leading up to the future, but. And then lastly, yeah. the whole Sharon Tate, LeBianca murders don't happen, and they actually end up living. And Would that change the course of history, right? Exactly, because we all know the ugly events that occurred after that, and could that have changed things? Could that, you know, it, it's all the what-if scenarios that pretty Which much is cool, because that makes you think this. about it. That's the one aspect yeah. I liked was like, oh, I mean, but it, I don't think it does the greatest job of telling you that kind of shit. No, no not at all. It's like you literally afterwards have to be like, I hope you think about it and talk to your friends about it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a great time. Also, um, I didn't know that Emil Hirsch played that that guy. Dude. The, the friend of Sheridan. <laughs> it did not look like him. The whole movie, he I looked, was looking for him. He looked exactly the same. I was like, he didn't look I, The only person him. I didn't know was that it was fucking Dakota Fanning, by the way. Wait, that I knew. Fanning. The chick that was fucking Harry at the ranch or whatever. He's yeah. like, I fucked his brains out. That's, that Dakota, Dakota, that's Fanning? Dakota Fanning. That's Dakota Fanning. Yeah. What? I was like, she's gained some weight, but that's fine. She's For the okay. role, probably. She's, I, okay, yeah. I won't touch that one. But um, well, yeah, I didn't think I it was her. That. And then she gets killed too at the end. Yeah. She just looked a lot older. She's and definitely. Like, I was like, oh shit, oh, man. I was like, what? Fu- I was like, what the fuck? That's I mean, crazy. It's like crazy. I know it's. I guess the whole Sharon Tate thing too was like the way that they're trying to show you is just the. I guess that's the thing too is like, I don't. They did a good job of showing it to Sharon Tate's character, and it's like, man, it's really sad because she's just like up and coming. She seems like she's having a good life, um, and then like she's watching a movie, and it's just like this, yeah. and then I guess. It just kind of shows you. I guess technically, I guess I was reading on it that Tarantino did that just to kind of like so you liked her character, and, yeah. and so by the end you're like, "Fuck, man, they gotta kill her now," you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's I. I think that's also why she doesn't say too many lines, man. True. It's just kind of like, she's like this godlike what, figure, I guess. Yeah. Like she. It's. It's sort of. She represents like an angelic presence. Yeah. I get it. Los Angeles. Yeah. And the white boots and shit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of and what he did right on Sharon Tate, he, like he sought the approval of her sister too. Yeah. And that's how he was able to present it in this way because he got that approval. So. That and had a little um, bit to do with it. I would say too that I guess. I don't know. There's like a lot of little things in the movie. Like I, I agree though. Like it seems like the Manson thing was kind of tacked on. Truthfully, they yeah. could have done it in a different way. And the movie kind of sells it like Charles Manson is going to be in the movie a little Dude, bit. Dude, he's in like one scene. That's yeah. it. Yeah, oh, literally, he's in the one yeah. scene. And you can see it in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that event did happen. It's just because that mo- music producer did live in that house beforehand, mm-hmm. so that's why he was, you know, he wanted to fuck that place up. Yeah. But it's. I think they advertise it that way too to kind of get people more intrigued into what it was about. Right. But I mean, I truthfully could have watched more of just fucking Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters getting into some hijinks in Italy. Yeah. Me too. It would have been nice if he didn't just, you know, like do the fucking time jump. Yeah. Six months later. Sorry, by the way, here's all the plot. I mean, at at least what the fuck? at, At least do some sort of montage. Thing. Yeah, that I mean they, they did in a way with the posters and stuff, but right, but it didn't work done... for me either, man. Yeah. yeah, I agree, I agree with that. Um, so for the most part, what was your guys' favorite part of the movie and worst part then that you would have liked to change, Marco? My favorite part has to be when Rick Dalton and James Stacy, played by Timothy Oliphant, are shooting that scene in oh, yeah. the, in the tavern. Shows a little movie magic there, huh? And uh, 
Leonardo DiCaprio or Rick Dalton keeps fucking up his lines, and they have to reset the camera, and it kind yeah. of really immerses you into that. It's it kind of it's also very gives meta. the viewer a, a like. This is how movies are made. Like this yeah. is what happens. So, so I really like that, and also just a like a really quick honorable mention when he loses his shit in the trailer and sort oh, of that like parades hilarious. himself yeah. because yeah, I've done that many times when I've made mistakes. Kind of just kind of like, you know, say, what the fuck you do that? What's wrong with you? Yeah, anyway. Marco's botched his lines on a multi-million dollar set a couple times. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Throwing the glass, telling himself he's going to blow his brains out. Yep. You know, it just Get happened your the shit other day. right. Get your shit right. That's why, I'm like, still, why I'm still here, guys. I'm still waiting for my big shot. He's so. like, <laughs> you're going to stop drinking after this. <laughs> and what part did you not like, though, for the most part? Um... There's a scene in, for in particular me that I, I really it's that. not really a scene. It's more or less just the the whole Pacing? Manson family thing or the mate. Okay, the it, it just felt like I was, truthfully it, thought that rant scene went on too long. It did go on for quite which one? Quite a bit. When fucking uh, I almost called him Rusty Cliff. from fucking Ocean's Thirteen and shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Cliff shows up with the chick at the ranch, the Spawn Ranch. Yeah, it goes on like that's like a twenty. 25 minute yeah, fucking scene. Chunk of the film. It, it's supposed to build up tension, but it doesn't really do it that but good. But the payoff is like, never mind, he was wrong, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, they could have just cut the scene where he went into the house and just cut to him, like, beat the shit out of the guy and the guy racing to try to stop him. True. It would have got the point across. Classic Tarantino, though, man. He he's has throwing to show, you off. He has no, to no, show no. Every, yeah. He, he's throwing you off and he wants to show everything. But for me, it was just the whole, like, Manson family thing. Like, they could have, it just felt. I thought you were gonna be like the hippies with the with the armpit hair. Just no. <laughs> Marco's like, cut it. <laughs> no, actually, it was the whole hippies like just dumpster diving oh, and then like I, just I get getting to, into the car. Marco like, cringed no. a bit. He says <laughs> they didn't wash their feet. Yeah, I was yeah. like, um, that she was in the feet on the windshield. I mentioned it three times to James. I was like, she was in the dumpster. I'm just she got he... that dumpster smell. Yeah, bro. It ain't a big deal. I was like, okay, all right, but yeah, I just felt it could have been done better. That's all. Uh, what about you, Nabil? Um, I like the scene as well, same as Marco, with when they were doing, um, they were shooting the film. The um, Western, yeah. I like that whole segment of where um, he's talking to the girl and getting to know her up until she's the end a lot where he more scene. professional than him. Too. Yeah, I really just like that whole idea. And like you said, James, it gets to kind of get you into the idea of the movie. See, even that, that, even those scenes technically are kind of drawn out. But yeah. truthfully, Leonardo is such a scene stealer that I'm like, I'm okay with yeah, seeing this. I kind of right? just want to see him talk more in it, and yeah. that's, that was really good. Nabil, put your shirt back on. <laughs> just like Leo, Leo, let's guys. do it. Um, what I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't like the Playboy Mansion scene. I, really unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I got what he was trying to do. Show again, like you were saying, Sharon Tate, Sharon Tate having yeah. a good time. But it and it's too. Was it too on the nose for you? With it the was. Steve McQueen part, and that's that's what I was going to say. Did we need with that Steve part McQueen too? being there? Cool, you get to show him. But again, he didn't even add anything to. It. It's like it's one that no. got away. I was like, okay. I almost feel like he had more parts than cut him. Probably, maybe. I was like, yeah. man, was there more to this, man? So, so if maybe that scene was supposed to be longer, there would have been more exposition. I, I know they cut out. Won't be they cut out a scene cut. with uh, James Marsden and Tim Roth. Tim Roth is like supposed to be the butler. Yeah, he was cut. They actually say it in the credits. Yeah. But James Marsden yeah. supposed to be in it too, and he got. Cut. I mean, Tarantino really? pretty famous for. Have, not he's not like he's not like Terrence Malick where you'll be in the movie for like four hours and then none he, of the scenes show up. Mm-hmm. But Marsden was in one scene the when they're showing the old TV show. Is he? Yeah, he's there. I remember. Hmm. Maybe there was more scenes with him then. Yeah, there was more probably. scenes with him, but he was he was definitely. I'm in glad there. they kept that Luke Perry one though. Yeah, because I can good. I could have seen that part. I feel like it would have been cut if he hadn't passed. If away. he hadn't passed away, yeah, yeah. which was you know untimely. Bad. But um, I really like when Leonardo's talking about that great escape scene, and then he goes yeah. back and he shows him, and they actually put him in the fucking in the movie. Film? I yeah. thought it was yeah. fucking hilarious for some reason. <laughs> I've seen that movie a couple times with my dad. And, it's a good movie. Uh, as you all may know, like Steve McQueen is the main star of Great Escape. And it's like, it sounds like Leonardo's character was actually in the movie, but then taken out last minute and had already shot some scenes, but he was trying to downplay it. Like it it wasn't a big deal. Right. Yeah. And I found like his scenes in there were so fucking stupid. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's Captain. And then he turns around. I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. But it was hilarious. All his scenes are really good, man. Yeah. Yeah. And any scene with him smoking a cigarette, I just had a craving. He just kicked in so hard. I was like, God, he makes it look so fucking cool. The ones that I didn't like, though, I guess, truthfully, I guess, I don't know, man. There's, there's like, there's little, I didn't like the narrative part, obviously, with Kurt Russell's right. thing. I thought that was 
could have been done a little differently. Or if they had used Kurt Russell from the very beginning and he was narrating the whole story. And not coming in halfway to the film. Yeah, that would have been cool. He, there's a scene in the very early on where he jumps in to tell uh, to call out Leonardo DiCaprio's basically bullshitting to Al Pacino mm-hmm. about why he has a driver. He's like, yep, he's lying. He's he's because he got caught drinking again. He has no license. They took it from him. That's Kurt Russell jumps in right there. And then, then, then for two hours, you don't hear from him. Nope. Yeah, it kind of threw me off when he's at the end narrating more about yeah, it. Yeah, I like, was like, damn, it, if it is, it would. I think it would have worked a little better since it's like a once upon a time story. I was like, it would have been kind of cool if he was like narrating this for like a story, like mm-hmm. to kind of go with the theme. I don't, I don't, I'm just that's just my thought on it. Yeah, unless maybe they had thought that at first and then they were like, never mind, we're just gonna make it our own weird way. I, I agree that would have made it better. Just, yeah, or at least would have added more to the story because that's what that's what threw me off though was the whole aspect of like the two i felt like it was two different narrative styles that they show in the movie it's like a somewhat traditional with not a lot of guidance with where the plot's going and then out of nowhere that last 35 40 minutes is like here here's the story now because mm-hmm. the last it was that part i was like i'm falling along pretty fucking well mm-hmm. but they're also kind of changing shit up and um I, one my honorable mention is definitely when leo grabs a flamethrower <laughs> it comes out <laughs> i thought it was a dream sequence I dude i was first. like dude i have a feeling they're going to be like this is what really. This happened. is what should have happened, but unfortunately, no. But then I was like, "Nope, they're rolling with it." That's what I thought too. I was like, "And, and they're gonna shed. They're gonna say, well, that's how it would have happened.' But unfortunately, this is a fairy you know, tale, and yeah. this is the truth." Boom. But I'm actually kind of glad they didn't. So I would say overall, guys, I can't recommend it still for everyone. It's one of those movies that I think I might appreciate it better with a second viewing, probably. But it's gonna be a movie that I probably would just recommend at least renting first for most people i don't think a lot of people will understand a lot of this without having to put in the extra time to kind of read into what tarantino might have been trying to convey to viewers i'd, I'd say no i agree truthfully so i again i like i said if you're a huge tarantino fan and you just have to see his movie in theaters go see it if not it's a renter i would I would see this movie again, but it's not like I would go out of my way to see it again right is away. This, for you guys, just before with your closing stuff, though, I want to ask, is this, where would this rank in like your Tarantino films? Is it upper or lower? Is this like, like lower end? Is this like the worst Tarantino film you've seen? Yeah, I would have to say if I'm really thinking hard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, would be dead last. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like I need to give it another watch. Me too. But off just the initial one, it's 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 pretty bottom of the list. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Even after Death Proof, huh? Like I look, like Death Proof. Though. I like Death Proof too. Better than I know this you one. don't like it. I'm not gonna lie. I like you death. guys are smoking. Like look. Okay. Like look. Think, think of this. Reservoir Dogs. Obviously, it's Nabil's favorite film. But yeah, you you think about it. Yeah. Is it Reservoir? Well, hold on. Is it Reservoir Dogs or Blade Runner? Make your fucking mind up, sir. No, Reservoir Dogs is my favorite film. <laughs> Blade Runners. I know. I'm fucking with you, dude. Pulp, Pulp Fiction. You want to see it, right? Jackie Brown. You want to see it. Inglorious Bastards. You want to see it. Hateful Eight. You want to see it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. See, but for me, it's like still ra- it ranks. It ranks higher than Death Proof for me. I didn't. I. Oh, I, yeah. I, I hated Death Proof. But I also because I went and saw that fucking double feature. And you know what? When he's eating those fucking like, nachos in Death Proof is what made it for me. Was okay? that in between yeah. his 45 minute du- monologue that he had? Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty long monologue. I was like, is he the same character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Kind of is, right? He looks like I think I was like, did he have the same jacket on? But um, probably is the same jacket. I'd say it's I'm, pretty. It's pretty low for me though. Yeah. yeah, it's not the highest, which is which is sad because I mean, I mean like you're right. I would I would watch Django Unchained before this. Yeah, yeah. I love Django Unchained. That's probably higher up. So even you, yeah. Bill. Yeah, I mean, if you're like Marco said, if you're a Tarantino fan, definitely watch it. Um, if you like those era, that era of, of filmmaking in general, or if you're a big like 60s, 70s movie buff, um, you probably actually enjoy this. Because again, just the set piece and how he had it, um, how he was shooting it, and the feel, you really are in that time period. At least for me, that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, so I do, true. I really like that part of it. So if you've got any kind of nostalgia to that time and want to reminisce, um, some of the good days um, of then, then this film will definitely do that for you. But from a pure film perspective, I think that you're gonna get really lost really fast, and it'll annoy you if you're not and if you don't already get Tarantino as it is. So definitely. All right, guys. So that is the end of our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, once again, please provide any feedback, response, and reviews. Marco, let them know how they can reach us there. Check us out on our social media on Twitter. Instagram or Facebook at Movie Pals Pod. You can also subscribe to us on Google Play Music, 
iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And please, please, please leave us a review if you can. Leave us suggestions on our social media. Let us know what you'd like to hear as a topic of the week when we bring that back. Or any movies or TV shows you'd like us to review. Alright guys, and tune in next time for episode 54. We're going to be doing one of our marathons here, which you guys seem to like quite a bit. Uh, this time around, we're, we are going away from all these indie films now, going back to some of the you know bread and butter that we like here. We're, we're going back to watch, in our bullshit. We're going to watch nine total films here for you guys. Uh, we're going to be watching the Fast and Furious Marathon, which uh, will be uh, capped off with that Hobbs and Shaw review as well. So until next time, guys, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. Have a good one.